Well, hello and welcome to week two of our series, Miracles, here on the College Age Movement podcast. We're walking through different miracles that Jesus has performed uh, during his ministry here on earth. And this week we are going to be in Mark chapter 2. And we're going to talk uh, through a miracle that, that many of us who grew up in the church have probably heard. It's definitely a story that maybe you've seen on a flannel board or something like that throughout your church career. Uh, but it's found in Mark chapter 2, and we're going to start right uh, in verse 1 through 2. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So this is his his region. This is his home. This is his uh, stomping grounds. This is where he grew up. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So the first point today is this, is Jesus wasn't just a gatherer. Jesus wasn't just a gatherer. From the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, the concept of gathering was at the center of what he was doing. His message, the message that we now get to talk about today, was so attractive that people ran to it, that people gathered in such large numbers that homes were filled, they were surrounded, that there was no way to get in the door. They were at max capacity. And Jesus was sought out because of the miracles that he performed, that was that was definitely a part of it, that Jesus understood that, that this was not your everyday happenstance, that he was performing miracles and people were blown away at what he was doing in his ministry. And that was an incredible thing, but it wasn't just that. He was very intentional about communicating information too. And just as attractive as the miracles were, so was the message that he was preaching. That after thousands of years, Jesus was coming and he was flipping everything on its head and he was saying, a new message that I am bringing to you, and it is about loving God, it is about loving people, it's not about making sacrifices anymore, uh, physical sacrifices anymore, it's about making sacrifices of ourselves, that we would dedicate and surrender our lives to be living sacrifices for Jesus, to love people in extraordinary ways. I love that in this verse it says, and he preached the word to them. They may have come for the miracles, uh, but Jesus wanted to do work on the areas of their hearts too. He wanted to do things inside, not just things that were physically able to be seen. And And that hits a chord with me, and maybe it hits a chord with you too, because sometimes I am just waiting for Jesus to do something miraculous instead of showing up for the lesson that he has to teach me in that moment. That we go through these seasons of our time where we're like, I just need God to show up like he did a couple years ago and do that big thing or, or make that job happen or make that relationship work or whatever it may be. We, we look for the miraculous. We look for these tangible things instead of being people who are willing to sit down and just listen to the lesson that he has to teach us in that moment, for that day, for that hour, whatever it is. And, and I want to be a person, and I think that you probably want to be a person too, that is willing to sit down in under the tutelage of Jesus and say, hey, I, I want to learn the everyday lessons. I don't want to just sit around and wait for the big, miraculous, awe-inspiring things. And there's absolutely a huge lesson for us to learn in that, that we need to be people who are willing to slow down, to stop, and sit at the feet of Jesus and say, I want you to teach me something. And if I get to see you do something miraculous, that's that's rad. That's so amazing. But what I really want is to learn the little things that that will provide slow and steady growth in my life. And the next point is this, use your platform. Use your platform. It could be easy to look at that and think, I don't have a platform. But you absolutely do. We all do. 
You don't have to have a mic in your hand. You don't have to sit sit and do record a podcast to have influence of any kind. And, and I think that there's this misconception in our culture today that if you're not standing in front of people or if you don't have a significant following on Instagram or if you don't have a significant following somewhere else, some other platform, that your influence is lesser than. And that's not true at all, that every single one of us has a platform. Some of our platforms are our workplaces. Some of our platforms are our schools. Some of our platforms are our families or our friend groups. Wherever you are, wherever you spend time, you have significant influence. And you might not feel like it, but for a lot of us, it's because we are unwilling to own the fact that the influence that we have is real, that it is something that exists. And we want to sit in a corner and say, no, I have zero influence. Influence. People don't want to hear what I have to say. They don't want to hear what I believe. They don't want to see where all of my, my foundation comes from but they do. People want to know. You want to know people's story. They want to know your story, and your story has so much influence within it. You see, Jesus was a teacher in a very traditional sense. It was associated with him because he was Jesus. He was a rabbi, but we all have opportunities to gather people and to show people Jesus. Maybe you are the gatherer. Maybe you're the person in your friend group, in in, in your, your social circle that is the gatherer, that when you say like, hey, we're going to go do this thing on Friday night, people are like, rad, I want to do that. Let's go. We'll hang out and do whatever you say. And, and you're so good at connecting people and gathering people. Or maybe you aren't. Maybe you're more introverted and you're not the gatherer, but you are a part of the gathering, that you are a part of people gathering together to do whatever it is that they're doing. And if you are either the gatherer, you can be the organizer, or you can just be a part of the organized. But either way, you have influence because you're there, you're around other people. And in our culture today, in 2019, there's so many ways to influence people. There's so many ways to get opinions out there. And it can be a dangerous thing, but it also can be a really important thing because if you're following Jesus steadily, you have to understand that your words hold weight and that what you have to say can influence people towards Jesus, that, that you can influence people towards feeling the love and the acceptance and the grace that Jesus has to offer. So let's be people who influence. Sometimes you don't even have to say a word to influence. Sometimes it's just about being with people and being an example to them of being kind and and being courteous and, and being full of love and acceptance and all of those things. And so maybe you're not a talker like I am. Maybe you are a, a silent person, but that doesn't mean that you don't have influence. You don't have to be loud and obnoxious like me to influence people. You can just be you. The story goes on to say in Mark chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. A simple verse. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So the next point today is this. Find people who will carry you. Find people who will carry you. We talk about this a lot around college age, but I don't think that you can just talk about it I don't think you can talk about it too much. I think that it's something that we have to be so intentional about in every season of life. It is necessary that we find community that will carry us towards Jesus when we physically or spiritually or mentally can't get there on our own. We have to find people who can carry us. Yeah, I, I get an incredible opportunity to not only be the college-age pastor— but I also get to hang out with junior hires and high school students uh, with a focus on high school students on Wednesday nights. And it's been such a blessing to me to get to hang around uh, young people. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a student who came up to me who, who I've known for a while, but it's been most of the, hey, how are you doing today? It was, it was pretty, um, a, simple, a simple relationship. And he had a group of people essentially bring him to me 
a couple weeks ago, and and what I loved is that we talked through a bunch of stuff that these things that that no sixteen year old, no fifteen year old should ever have to be going through, and he wouldn't have had that conversation if it wasn't for the people who surrounded him. And they sat there while he was burying his soul. And that was so inspiring to me because he has a family. He has a community of people who are willing to fight for him and with him. And we all need that. That At, at no stage of our life is that not necessary. Whether you're 15 years old or whether you're 50, year old, 50 years old or, or 80 years old, whatever it is, every stage of life requires community. Every stage of life requires family. Every stage of life requires people who can carry us when we can't get to the places that we want to go by ourselves. Left on our own with no support, that, that, that will let lead to, to unneeded pain and suffering. And life done with people isn't pain-free. There are different pains that are associated with that. But God has called us to be in community. He has created us to be relational. And so we have to make sure that we are trying everything that we can. And that can be two people, that can be three people, that can be 50 people. But we need to make sure that we have people who can carry us. There will be times in our lives where that is so vital, and that's not a weakness. That's a symptom of our humanity, and we have to recognize that life done alone isn't a life that we are called to live. We're supposed to live life together. And on the flip side of this, find people who you can carry. Find people who you can carry. It's important that we understand that the healthy seasons of our lives are not just victories, they are opportunities. That we don't get to sit in the midst of our healthy seasons and put our fist in the air and say, I'm doing so good, but that we would say, yes, I'm doing so good, thank God, but I'm also going to bend down and I'm going to pick people up who need my help in this season. And another thing that I love about the, this phrase is it's, it's important that it says four men were carrying him. And it just says that four people were carrying him. We don't know if there was actually just four of them with him or if there were 50 or 100, whatever. It could have been a whole community of people that brought this man, believing that God would do what he could do for him. But what I love about this is that you could you could say, okay, well, there was probably four corners to the mat that he was paralyzed and had to be on. So that's why there were four of them. But I would also like to pose the idea that maybe possibly it was that they recognized in their own lives that not a one of them by themselves was strong enough to carry him to Jesus. That they knew it was going to take a collective effort to get him in front of Jesus. And I think that's such a poignant thing for us to understand today is that very rarely will you and I be at 100%. But there are going to be seasons where we're at 70%, 80%, 90%, and there are going to be other people who are in similar seasons where they're at 90%. And if we can collectively get around someone who's at 5%, but there's four, five, six of us that are almost at full tank, we can collectively bring those people into the presence of Jesus or bring them into the presence of a community of people that will love them in a way that they have never been loved before. Community builds strength. Community breeds care for one another. Community says we can't on our own, but we can together. We can't on our own, but we can together. Let's move on to verses four and five. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And that brings us to the next point. Have faith for one another. Have faith for one another. I love that it says that Jesus saw their faith, collective, and then said, son, singular, your sins are forgiven. Without question, the paralyzed man had faith. 
but Jesus recognizes the collective to bring about the miraculous. He sees their faith for their friend, and he forgives the sins of the man because of that collective faith. And that's not to say that Jesus might not have just done that if he himself found a way to get in front of Jesus, but he recognized the collective to bring about the miraculous. It can be our own selfish nature that we pursue the miraculous in our own lives, and we put faith in God's ability to do those things just for us, but we always need to be willing to recalibrate and to have faith on the behalf of the other people around us, that we would stop, that we would reset, that we would hit that reset button, and we say, Lord... I've been praying for the miraculous in my own life, but I want to reset and I want I want to pray for the miraculous in the lives of the people around me, for my friends, for my family, for my coworkers, for the people that, that I go to school with, whatever it is. I want to pray for the miraculous to happen in their lives. Sometimes it's going to be when when people are strong in their faith too, and sometimes it's going to be when we're just simply having faith for people. I don't know about you, but there are more times in my life than I would like to admit that I feel like my faith has been tapped out and others have been confident in Christ and what he wants to do for me. And and one of the most obvious examples of this was our adoption process. And there were so many people in my life that, that were so influential in the adoption process. And I was so sure that, that adopting my daughter was exactly what God wanted me to do, is exactly what God wanted me and my wife to do. And, and there, but there were seasons where I was just like, man, this seems like a lot of money that we're having to raise, or this is, seems like a really tight deadline, or this seems like an unsurmountable task that we're having to complete. And there were multiple people in my life that would just say, Evan, like God knows that you, or you know that God wants you to do that, right? Then he's going to bring you through that. And the, the most influential person through this, the entire process was my wife herself, that there were so many times where I was like, I don't know, Larissa, like, I just don't know if we're going to be able to do this. And she would just sit there and say, I'm going to have faith that God will do it and he will do it on this timeline and he will do it in this way. And so many times the lack of my faith was, was lifted because Jesus did show up when she had faith that he would show up, that he did things the way that she believed he would do things. And sometimes he did them in better ways and sometimes he did them in different ways, but she was confident in the process and that it lifted my faith. And I had more faith because of her belief that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's a reminder for us to have big expectations of God for others. That, that even though this was a collective thing for Larissa and I, she knew that, that our adoption journey, while a collective pursuit, there were still individual elements to it. And my individual elements need to be lifted up by her faith. And so she was believing big things for me. And there were other seasons where I got to believe big things for her. And there are other things throughout our lives where we get to have faith for other people. In one of the commentaries that I was reading as I was preparing for this message, it said, the faith that Jesus sees in this moment is not simply intellectual assent or emotional feeling, but is manifested in determined, visible action. We want to believe that God can and that he will, but not just in our minds and our hearts. My hope is that the people in our lives would look at the community of College Age, the community of Faith Chapel, and they would see faith manifested in determined, visible action. Determined, visible action. Like, we need to be a people who put some freaking holes in ceilings. Last week, we asked the question, what are we willing to do to get close to Jesus. 
And my hope would be that the answer is anything and everything. Whatever we can do to get close to Jesus, whether that's tearing holes in ceilings, whether that's pushing through crowds, whatever it is, we're going to get close to Jesus. And we're going to bring people along with us because our faith is going to lift their faith. Our faith is going to bring people closer to Jesus. And that is what we're supposed to do, is do anything and everything that we can freaking do to get people into a relationship with Jesus so they can feel his love and his grace and his mercy and his redemption. We want people to understand what we already know. Next, Jesus addresses the biggest need first. I love this. Jesus addresses the biggest need first. They show up and Jesus doesn't just heal him and move on. He wasn't just interrupted and said, oh, you're paralyzed. Let me heal you. Now please leave so that I can continue to preach. Instead, he addresses his eternity before he does anything about his present. He addresses his eternity before he does anything about his present. He addresses the spiritual before anything physical happens. That he, he looks at him and he says, your, your sins are forgiven. He was there to be healed physically, but Jesus healed him spiritually first. And it's important for you and I because too often we look, some, look for something visible to happen before we look internal. We so tend to want God to do something for us instead of doing something in us. And we need to be people who want God to do something in us so that he can do something for us. This isn't to say that the paralyzed man was being greedy. Jesus could see his faith. He knew his heart and he knew the hearts of his friends. And it's a great reminder that God knows ours too. Let's be people who look to do internal work before we expect external results. That we would do internal work before we expect external results. And then the story wraps up with the last six verses. It says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there as Jesus was preaching, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view, I love this, in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So the last point today is this, equally impossible for us, equally possible for him. This is just a boss move by Jesus, right? He looks these Pharisees in the eyes and says, oh, oh, I'm, I'm blaspheming. That's what you're thinking. Okay, cool. Well, what's easier for me to heal this man or for me to say, son, I forgive your sins. He's like, never mind. I'm going to forgive his sins. But now, hey, brother, will you get up and go home? And the man stands up in full view of everyone and walks out. And you know Jesus is just looking at him like, what's up? Like, I just did that. The Son of Man has all the authority on earth to forgive sins. And also, I just healed that man from his paralysis. While God is often in the business of working quietly and steady throughout our lives, sometimes he will be loud and in our faces or the faces of those around us. 
And we'd love that. We love when Jesus shows up in miraculous ways and we have such tangible proof that God is doing miraculous things. And we point at that and we say, look at how good God is. Look how big God is. Look how amazing God is. But as we think about that, as, as we realize that those are really cool and really amazing things, it's also important for all of us to realize that the quiet and steady work of God in our lives is just as significant and just as miraculous as the big, bold, amazing things. The quiet and steady work of God is miraculous. It's easy for us to be in awe when God does something massive in our life or the life of someone we know, but we should be constantly in awe that he has deemed messy, broken sinners like us worthy of death on a cross so that we may be forgiven. That we need to understand that that little miracle every single day that God loves us for who we are, right where we are, broken, messy, that, that, that little miracle every single day is just as amazing as any big miracle that he may do in our lives. Well, hey, thank you for tuning in to the College Age Movement podcast again. We always like to say this at the end. If you are in Billings, we want you here. We want you a part of the family. We want you a part of the community. Please do whatever you can to be here at 7 o'clock on Tuesday nights. We believe that God is doing something significant through the young adults of Billings, and we want you to be a part of it. If you can't make it here on Tuesday nights, we understand that life is busy. We hope that you continue to tune in to the College Age Movement podcast. We love you guys.